You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, August 25th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. As our state prepares to phase out gas-powered cars by 2035, the effects of climate change are standing in the way of forest management. Prescribed burns are getting canceled because they're simply too risky. But doesn't that raise the risk of wildfire too? The California Report explores this conundrum. The curtain rises Friday on the Nevada City Film Festival. And after regional news and weather, KVMR's Felton Pruitt gets all the details from festival director Jesse Locks. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We start with a huge change to transportation. California's Air Board is set to approve a plan today to phase out the sale of new gasoline cars by the year 2035. KQED's Daphne Young reports. The California Air Resources Board has hammered out the details of the plan for nearly two years, since Governor Gavin Newsom mandated that all new cars sold across the state be fossil fuel-free by 2035. This regulation, the first in the world, is a game-changer for California, setting the state on an accelerated course in our transition to zero-emission vehicles, tackling carbon pollution, and moving to end the tailpipe. Lauren Sanchez is Governor Newsom's senior advisor on climate. She says the plan is an effort to reduce global warming and fight air pollution. If approved, 35 percent of all new passenger vehicles sold in California must produce zero emissions by 2026. California is the largest auto market in the United States. More than a dozen other states typically follow California's lead when setting their own auto emission standards. For the California Report, I'm Daphne Young. Last week, we brought you an investigation into the U.S. Forest Service that found a stalled project could have helped protect the town of Grizzly Flats in Northern California from the Caldor Fire. Most of the town was reduced to ash by the blaze. Today, we head to Big Bear, a Southern California mountain vacation destination where officials are hoping to avoid that same fate. But are they moving fast enough? KCRW's Kaylee Wells reports. It was supposed to be a prescribed burn day in the San Bernardino National Forest. Forest Service burn boss Christina Barba was supposed to be setting a planned fire to help clear out flammable brush, but she had to call it off. The weather made it too risky for her limited team. And therein lies the paradox of being a burn boss. It's like you want to burn enough that it is meaningful and you're improving large parts of the landscape, but then are we ever going to have the resources to do it? Barbara says she should be burning 3,000 acres a year to protect the community. Last year, she burned only 300, and this year, she's burned just 20 acres. She says there's a saying in her line of work. You could always find a reason not to burn. (laughs) Sorry, there's my cynicism again, I don't know. The Forest Service isn't even close to completing its list of goals. They've approved work on just under 9,000 acres near town. That's on top of two major projects that have been proposed in the past decade, then delayed, then canceled. The list of obstacles to getting the work done might be even longer. Let's start with the biggest one, climate change. Yeah, it's going to get hotter, but it also gets drier. And the window of opportunity shrinks smaller and smaller. Barba had only 13 safe burn days last year, but most of those days she still couldn't set a fire. 
Which brings us to problem number two, air quality. We share an air basin with Los Angeles and the entire Inland Empire. So because the Inland Empire has ozone or some days they have more particulates than they should, it shuts down burning in the entire basin. The air might be clear up in Big Bear, but Barbara says she lost five of her 13 burn days because of air pollution. That's like 40% of your burn days. Yeah, it's, you know, we're doing the best we can. (laughs) Which brings us to obstacle three, resources. Some days she doesn't have the people or equipment to burn safely. There's been times where I've woken up in the morning, I've had my organization, and then I get a call from the fire management official like, oh, you know, three of your engines got sent on a strike team to the Cleveland for a fire. And then that is the end of that. And even on a perfect day, when the weather is right and the air is clear and the firefighters have nothing better to do, prescribed fires still burn up money. The San Bernardino National Forest did not disclose their budget after months and multiple requests. Barba wouldn't give us a number either. I think my house is worth more than the Phil's budget this year. So. U.S. Forest Service Chief Randy Moore recognizes the status quo in Southern California's forests just isn't working. Budget and keep boots on the ground has been a big issue. We don't have a lot of prescribed burn in there, particularly down in Southern California. Uh, we never have, and that's been the problem. Big Bear Lake's mayor, Rick Herrick, says for the most part, residents are on board with prescribed burns. But... Boy, it seems like it just takes an awful long time. And I couldn't tell you how long it takes, but, but um, we're going back years and years and saying we have, to, we have to thin the forest. With only a month left in the summer, it looks like Northern California may be spared another devastating wildfire season. But in Southern California, the worst fires typically spark in the fall, meaning Big Bear's riskiest days are still ahead. And we're going to have to be very vigilant when that... Uh, if we have a fire during those periods of time. Fingers crossed we've been very lucky. Let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and make sure that uh, we stay lucky. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Big Bear. Let's turn to beauty and privacy. Cosmetics giant Sephora will pay $1.2 million in penalties for allegedly failing to tell California consumers it was selling their data and failing to process their opt-out requests. California Attorney General Rob Bonta announced a settlement yesterday with a makeup company over violations of the state's tough California Consumer Privacy Act. The settlement is the first such action since the landmark privacy law went into effect in 2020. Today's settlement with Sephora makes clear we will not hesitate to enforce the law. It's time for companies to get the memo, protect consumer data, honor their privacy rights. It's really quite simple and very straightforward. The attorney general says his office has sent out more than 100 violation notices to businesses and says most have come into compliance within the law's required 30-day window. However, that window is expiring at the end of the year. Sephora hasn't responded to a request for comment. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at SchmidtOcean.org. 
And that's the California Report for Thursday, August 25th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. And remember, we have a daily podcast. You can get both of our morning news shows. So check it out wherever you get your podcasts and maybe subscribe to it. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, have a great day. In regional news, the scourge of improperly dumped mattresses and box springs is the target of a new program offering free disposal of the items at the McCourtney Road Transfer Station. According to a news release from WM, formerly Waste Management, any resident can bring up to a combined five mattresses and or box springs to the transfer station on Wolf Mountain Road in Grass Valley for free disposal during normal hours, Wednesday through Sunday, 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. We're thrilled to provide this convenient program to all residents and hope it helps to reduce the number of illegally dumped mattresses and box springs in our communities, said Barry Skolnick, Area Vice President for WM Northern California, Nevada. Mattresses disposed of through the Mattress Recycling Council's Bye Bye Mattress Program are disassembled and recycled. The steel, foam, fiber, and wood recovered from mattresses and box springs are sent to manufacturers to make products such as carpet padding, construction, rebar, insulation filters, and mulch. Those using the program should enter the transfer station through the normal scale house entrance and tell the attendant they are dropping off mattresses only. This report from today's Sacramento Bee, California's state scientists have been working for more than two years without a contract, and they'll continue to do so after negotiations failed Wednesday in advance of a key legislative deadline. The California Association of Professional Scientists has been pushing for raises of up to 43% for environmental scientists, citing what they say is a pay inequity dating to 2005. Governor Gavin Newsom's administration didn't offer anything close to that in the most recent round of bargaining, said David Rist, the union's bargaining chairman. The union represents about 3,800 rank-and-file state employees. About 65% of them fall into the environmental science category, Rist said. State scientists earn an average of about $84,000 per year. Food, music, and speakers will be on the agenda September 1st at the Stone House when the Nevada City Rancheria Nisanon Tribe holds a harvest dinner fundraiser to support perpetuation of the Rancheria and Nisanon culture. CHIRP, the California Heritage Indigenous Research Project, will receive 100% of the proceeds. CHIRP is a nonprofit created to support the Nevada City Rancheria Nisanon. The dinner is from 6 to 9 p.m. and is followed by a concert. CHIRP will use the money to support the 13th annual Nisanon Heritage Day event on November 5th and efforts to restore the tribe's federal recognition. Turning to the regional forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality data from Purple Air, warm sunny conditions will continue with slightly reduced daytime temperatures expected into the weekend. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley will be clear with a low of 64. The air quality index stands at about 10, which is considered satisfactory. Friday will be sunny with a high of 93 and a low of 63. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe tonight, clear with a low of 49. The air quality readings are in the single digits. Friday will be sunny with a high near 82 and a nighttime low of 47. In Sacramento and Woodland this evening, clear with a low around 60. 
The air quality index is in the mid-30s in the satisfactory range. Friday will be partly sunny through mid-morning, then becoming sunny and hot with a high near 97. Friday night, mostly clear with a low of 60. Weekend daytime highs will be around 90 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. It's been called the Sundance of the Sierra. After two years in pandemic mode, the Nevada City Film Festival kicks off Friday, celebrating its 22nd year with a triumphant return to in-person movies on big screens. KVMR's Felton Pruitt gets the full scoop from the woman behind our local cinematic phenomenon. We're talking with Jesse Locks. She's the director of the Nevada City Film Festival, which is getting underway Friday through Sunday in our beautiful city. Thanks for joining us, Jesse. Thanks for having me, Felton. Tell us about all the stuff you want to tell us about. Yeah, we've got a great slate of films this year. Uh, you know, we, we took a break for the last two years. We did the drive-in, and so now we're back in person at the Nevada Theater, Pioneer Park, and Onyx Theater in Nevada City. And our opening night feature is called The Unknown Country. It's directed by Marissa Maltz, and it stars Lily Gladstone. And Lily's this really up-and-coming film actress, and uh, she's actually going to be in the later this year in a film with uh, directed by Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. So she's in two films in the film festival, and this being one of them. And it's just a, it's kind of described as you know, it's like a a, a road movie. You know, it's a warm-hearted road movie set that is a journey to the soul kind of thing. And it's just a really beautiful film. This character that Lily Gladstone plays, Tanya, is she's traveling from the Midwest to the Texas-Mexico border following an invitation from her um, Lakota family. And she's uh, kind of on a a solo journey after having some, you know, stuff happen in her family. And and it's just this really beautiful natural landscape film with um, some kind of unique filmmaking made. And uh, it's definitely a standout. We also have a free children's film program in Pioneer Park. And uh, that's free for the kids when accompanied by an adult. And it's the best of the Seattle Children's Films Festival. It's just a great way to get kids started on independent international films. So that'll be out in the park. And we'll start just right after 8 o'clock with Gates at 7 p.m. Which day? Uh, on Friday. Okay. Yeah, it's Friday opening night. Also on opening night, we have this documentary film called Your Friend Memphis. And it's just a really, really sweet film about uh, this young man named Memphis who has cerebral palsy. And it's kind of between the world's expectations of him and his own ambitions. And uh, filmmaker David Zucker is going to be here. That's going to play at the Onyx Theater. It's one at South by Southwest uh, Film Festival. And it's definitely... A heartwarming, heartfelt story um, and a must-see. And that's all on opening night. We do have a couple parties for Friday as well. So a happy hour where folks can come meet filmmakers, film directors, um, and kind of kick things off. And that's 5 to 7 p.m. at the National Exchange Hotel upstairs in the balcony in the lounge up there. And so we'll have DJs and um, hors d'oeuvres. And it's just kind of a fun way to kick off the festival. The Nissanon have a film? 
Yeah, we had a this really sweet film submitted to us from Sale uh, School, and it's a part of um, their Better World Day project that they do with their high school students. And it's when they learned about the Nisanon tribe and discussed the importance of acknowledging the atrocities of the past and doing some deep listening. And it's just a really sweet short film that the students worked on with the Nisanon tribe. And it's going to be screening Friday and Saturday at 2 p.m. and at the Ubaseo Nisanon Arts and Culture Gallery. And that's at 225 Broad Street, Nevada City. And um, if you haven't had a chance to stop by the gallery, it's a beautiful space. You'll also receive a tour from Shelly Covert, who's the spokesperson for the Nevada City Rancheria Nisanon Tribal Council. And uh, the film's called We Acknowledge Unerasing the Nisanon Tribe. It's definitely a great opportunity to see what young people are doing in our community and learn some more about the Nisanon tribe. We're talking with Jesse Locks from the Nevada City Film Festival. If folks want to get tickets and more info, give them how they do that. Yeah, everything's on our website, www.nevadacityfilmfestival.com. For folks that are really, you know, don't, they can't figure out what they want to see, we always have Best of the Fest, which is Sunday night at 7 o'clock at the Nevada Theater downtown. That's a great opportunity to see all the award-winning films, learn a little bit more about some of our favorite films that we screened over the three days. And then, you know, all the information on the parties and other kind of films that we're going to be screening are on the website as well. Is there a phone number for those that are computer challenged? (laughs) Of course, of course. It's 530-362-8601. Anything else you want folks to know about the Nevada City Film Festival? Oh, well, we've got Terry Zwigoff, who's the director of Ghost World and Bad Santa, Crumb, and Art School Confidential. He's kind of like our centerpiece guest this year during the Film Fest. And he, he's going to be here doing a Q&A after his film screening of Ghost World, which is 8 o'clock on Saturday at the Nevada Theater. He's, you know, quite the character. And if folks remember Ghost World, it was kind of like a radical film in 2001 when it was released. It's got Scarlett Johansson, Tora Birch, and Steve Buscemi. Definitely kind of kicked off the, the aughts of um, disgruntled teen films. And it's got a lot of heart and soul in it. And Terry's a great person to chat with. He definitely represents kind of that underground indie filmmaker. It should be a riveting Q&A session with him. That's the Nevada City Film Festival running Friday through Sunday in our beautiful town of Nevada City. We've been talking with Jesse Locks. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks, Felton. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. When you are a recovering addict like I am, an enthusiast, someone whose mind and sometimes body latches onto things, ideas, feelings, substances, and follows them with pleasure, but then goes past enjoyment into compulsive routine and finally desperation, you learn to look for early warning signs. This is why I was watching myself with a raised eyebrow, sitting on the sofa at two in the morning, trying to make one more word from the seven proffered letters that had to include F. I'd already been declared a genius by the New York Times spelling bee robots for having guessed 23 words. Afar, affair, farming, framing, griffin, miff, riff. 
Really, does anyone need more than that in life? Is genius not enough for me? And don't I need sleep? Apparently not that night. This is a game I found while playing a different game called Wordle. I like Wordle, I do, despite dissing it on social media when I get a bad score. Look it up if you don't know about it. There are hundreds of articles. Wordle is addictive in that I like to play it, but it's a fairly short game for me and is over in six tries. You either find the correct word or not. Boom. Done. Mulling over a QWERTY keyboard, considering your choices, can take a little time, but it's nothing like the hours I can spend gazing at the hexagonal flower of letters that is spelling bee. Some people are language lovers and some are not. If you are, you can't fight it. But if you become a writer, you've turned your attraction to what the alphabet can do into something potentially beneficial. I'm not addicted to writing. Writing is a kind of work and is generated, in my case, from the inside. It's nice and complicated, often a challenge, and rewarding in an inexplicably spiritual way. Word games, however, are designed to be addictive. Humans like trying things, searching and finding. The science says we're more interested in continuing to search than in being satisfied with discovery. The thrill of success is short-lived, but the urge to find again and get that dopamine hit another time is unlimited. I understand and acknowledge its usefulness in our brains, but the word dopamine always reminds me of dope. Not the marijuana definition, but the nincompoop one which is a helpful reference, since I don't like being thought of as unintelligent. On the one hand, I lean toward the addictive. On the other, now that I am older and wiser-ish, I have preferences. Faced with the choice between Prosecco and Blackberry Pie, ten times out of ten I will choose pie. Faced with staying up until 2 a.m. and feeling like bat guano in the morning, or going swimming in a nice blue lake, I will always choose the lake. Which is why last night I removed the New York Times app from my phone and went to bed at 10.30, saying to myself in the mirror after my face was washed and my teeth were brushed, Molly, darling, you are a genius. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lesser and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. FourPawsAC.com and Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse, locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. Stocking greenhouse coverings and components, down-to-earth amendments, 
IPM products, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5, K-A-R-M-E-N-S, garden.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.